You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 66 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for February 2019, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. And joining me today, I have a panel with, um, well, they all share a bit of an accent because we're, we're hugging the Irish Sea for this episode, um, and, and none of our American friends, unfortunately. But hey, nonetheless, uh, I am delighted to have two of my British companions with me. Uh, So we have Simon Parnell from Essential Apple with us. Hi, Simon. Hello, Bart. It is a pleasure to have you back. I I think it's been a while since we've heard your your, your lovely English accent. (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't, yeah, I think um, the last couple have not been convenient for me, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, and that's the great, you know, I, I try to vary up the times in the hope that that way we, we meet different people, you know, who come in and out of phase with my timing. So that's, it's you know, it's nice for you to join us when you can. And Nick, Nick Riley is also with us. And Nick, you get an extra special thank you because you stepped in at the last minute. So I double appreciate that. And, you know, thank you very much. That's all right, but my pleasure as always. Well, folks... February has been, it may only be 24, not 24 days, it's not that short. It is the shortest month of the year, but there's 28 of them. Um, It has nonetheless been quite the month's worth of news. And before we get to do new news, as it were, uh, we need to circle back to some stories that were in the process of breaking last time we recorded. Um, So the group FaceTime bug was something we talked about last time, and... um, well, we didn't know it at the time, but now we know that Apple released a security update to, and then they re-enabled the service. So they released a security update to iOS and macOS, and then they re-enabled the service. So that all came back online. We then know that Apple sent a high-level executive over to Tucson to meet the teenage discoverer of this flaw and his mum. And one of the things they went to talk to them about was, uh, so how could we make this a little bit easier for you? Because as we were talking about last time, they really, you know, the mother tried so hard to get Apple's attention and it basically took her a week. And it shouldn't take that long, really. So I'm glad that Apple went over to get their feedback. Um, they, while they were at it, also had some good news. They have a bug bounty program and they declared this uh, bug worthy of the bounty, which seems reasonable to me. So the kid is getting some reward, which apparently is going into his college fund. So that's good. We have hopefully another great computer scientist in the making. And uh, US Congress is none too happy about this. So they have sent a letter saying, dear Tim Cook, uh, what the? And so uh, I guess Apple will have to reply to that. Uh, anything Anything else I've left out there that we, we, we need to update on that group FaceTime story? No, I, I think that's... Um... I mean, the thing was they they issued the uh, update, as you say, and then they re-enabled the service, which, um, you know, was straightforward. And, yes, they went to uh, see. The the main thing that I I got from that, obviously they gave him a bug bounty, which was nice. Um, But the main thing, as you say, was that they wanted to... uh, Tim, Tim Cook said, didn't he, that that, um, he was unhappy that this woman had had to go to such great lengths to get their attention. Yeah. I mean, she even had to sign up for a, for a developer account and pay a hundred dollars to join the developer program. 
Yeah, as, tech, as things worked out, she got her money back, as it were. Oh, um, I'm, I'm sure she did, but um, but Tim yeah. Cook just said that's not acceptable, and you know we should be doing better, which is yes, true. We should be doing better. Than yeah, that. And I mean, you, so I, uh, yeah, they reflect. Sorry, Nick. Yeah, I was just going to say sometimes it takes something like this to to shake a company and get them to step up and do the right thing. Um, it well, takes I... me back. It takes me back to. Um, uh, an uh, an issue that we had with the company that I work with, where um, one of our uh, I've told you before, I work for a water company. Hmm. One of our tr- one of our treatment works got flooded uh, in the v- floodings that we seem to have more and more regularly these days. And um, unfortunately, people were cut off from fresh water for quite a long time, and we were we had to supply them with clean water and um, bowsers and all sorts of things. But it was a really good learning experience. I mean, it was awful for the people that it happened to. Sure, um, sure. But but the company learned a lot from it. And that that's the thing, right? No company is perfect. And so the, the, my way of judging companies when they make a boo-boo is how they respond to that. Do they respond by making excuses and trying to somehow retroactively make it not their fault and, you know, you know please feel sorry for us? Or do they respond by saying... Yeah, we really need to do better than this. How can we learn? And my impression is that in this case, Apple are taking the approach of, okay, what could we do better, please? So I think that's all in all a net positive. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think so. Now, the next story I have down as a follow-up, and just as I'm reading it now, my brain is going, are you sure that was on this podcast, Bart, and not on another podcast? But, uh, oh, anyway, we'll do it as a follow-up, and maybe it isn't a follow-up. Um <laughs> But there were some abuses of Apple's enterprise developer programs. Specifically, Facebook were using the code base from their previously removed from iOS Onavo VPN app, along with a root certificate, to really peep into what people were doing uh, on their iPhones. Now, the, the way this works is that you would you would be chosen to to be asked into this program. And at the time you were signing up, you weren't told it was for Facebook, but basically you were told you get $20 a month in gift vouchers if you install this app and let it gather statistics on you. And I think the point I was making on whatever podcast it was on, and I hope it was this one, was that there was no informed consent here because if you tell a regular person that you're installing a root certificate on their phone, that doesn't mean anything to them. You need to actually explain that not a single thing you do is in any way private anymore. And they'd certainly, I don't believe, did that. Um... And they got that app onto people's iPhones through a legitimate sideloading technique um, known basically as the Enterprise Developer Program. So this is a mechanism Apple developed to allow corporations to develop internal applications uh, in such a way that they would never go near the App Store. And if you think about it, if you're particularly if you're a competitor of Apple's, you would never use iOS devices for your staff if you couldn't develop private apps that Apple didn't get to see, didn't get to vet, didn't get to poke at, because that would literally be trade secrets being lost. And so the Enterprise Developer Program is for that function. That's what it, that's what it's for. And you verify the company, you give them a certificate, and they can then sign apps that will be accepted as valid by iPhones, and they will be side-loaded by the company. But along with that comes a contract with Apple that explicitly says what you can and can't do with these apps you're signing. And one of the key points in that contract is that they are only for use by your employees and absolutely, positively, definitely never by your customers. 
So anyway, Facebook were completely abusing this. And it emerged shortly later that so were the Googles for a very similar reason. And uh, when we last left our story on whatever podcast it was on, uh, they the, the the Apple had killed the certificates, which meant that all of the apps that both Facebook and Google had in the develop in this enterprise program stopped functioning, which apparently caused them quite a bit of kerfuffle. And then they gave them a new certificate and made them rebuild and redistribute all of their apps just to hammer home the point that if you break your contracts with us, bad things will happen. And what's happened since? is that it turns out that there were other abuses of this program by other companies. So we now know that at the dark underbelly of the internet, um, all these the same technique is being used to get pornography apps onto iPhones. So basically, a company would sign up pretending to be a normal company. They would make pornography apps and then they would sell them on the dark web and enroll the buyer's devices in, as if they were employees of this pretend company and get the pornography apps on that way. There were gambling apps and also uh, good old-fashioned wares. So basically, pirated software was also being sent, gotten onto people's iPhones, not onto the App Store, but onto people's iPhones by this sideloading technique. Uh, this made Apple very cranky. Um, and probably as a direct result, and I don't think Apple were explicit about it, all developers must now have two-factor authentication because a lot of the stuff happening on the dark web was happening uh, with stolen credentials. So developers would, you know, companies would have a legitimate reason to have a certificate and the companies themselves would not be abusing it. But if they were, you know, if they had a bit of malware that snuck out some stuff, you could end up with the keys for these certificates getting stolen and then the pornography guys, you know, basically piggybacking on legitimate corporations' reputation which is obviously not good. So two-factor auth is going to help Apple to tie real human beings to what goes on with all of these certificates. And then it becomes a much simpler issue to deal with abuse because you've tied, it's not anonymous in any way, shape, size, or form. You've tied it to actually human beings. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, as, as the last time I talked about this on a podcast somewhere, uh, Facebook had left their app on the Android store where it was completely allowed. Um or sorry, not on the Android store, on Android, where you can sideload. But that's now gone and they're actually shutting it down. At last. So I think that gets us caught up. Yeah. So I think... Go on there, Simon. I was going to say, I certainly... I'm pretty sure I heard you discussing it with Alison the other day. Um, I definitely did that. um, And uh, would just like to bring up the other point that you... um, that you made there, that there was a lot of reporting about how could Apple not know about this? And somehow it was, you know, Apple are allowing this abuse. And uh, I'm pretty sure as you pointed out, the whole point of it is that uh, Apple don't know about yeah. it because uh, as as you used at the time, um, Google, as an example, Google would never, uh, you know, be, want to send their secret uh, projects you know, their internal builds and beaters of whatever projects they're working on to Apple to be verified. That's yeah. the whole point of the developer uh, enterprise certificate. I just imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine if it came out that Apple was actually snooping on the stuff distributed with these certificates. For a start, there's no, there's no physical mechanism for it because 
you know, you as the corporation with the certificate, you write the app in-house, you sign the app in-house, and you distribute the app in-house. At no point does the app leave your corporate network. So exactly where Apple are supposed to magically assert this control, I have no idea. No, because the whole point is that the the app, as you say, never goes to Apple. That's the point of it. Exactly. So there was a lot of really, really shoddy reporting that made me excruciatingly cranky. So, you know. Any other thoughts on that before we we move on to one more piece of follow-up? The only only other thing I've seen uh, relating to that, well, at least to the the Facebook part of it, uh, not only have Facebook finally uh, agreed to kill the whole debacle... Um, but also, unsurprisingly, uh, it came out, I think, this morning that uh, the numbers of people who they were uh, recruiting mm. had been, uh, you know, they'd been deliberately lowballing the numbers. Shock and uh, or horror. <laughs> and, uh, shocked, I tell you. I'm totally shocked. No. But there we go. That was that was something that came out, I think, this morning. That, mm. um, the only the thing I've got people being spied on was far larger than uh, Facebook admitted to. Yeah. And the only thing I've got to add is what I said on uh, um, the Essential Apple show, and that is they're all very naughty boys. <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> they certainly are. And just to underline in case it wasn't this show we were talking about this on before, they were target Facebook, Google were not, but Facebook were targeting uh, under 18s, particularly between 13 and 18. So they, Facebook were interested in people between 13 and 35. So I guess I'm too old to be of interest to them. Uh, whereas I believe Google are only targeting over 18s. Still, it doesn't make it all that much better. But anyway, the last <laughs> bit of follow-up we have is, as we were going to air last time, Project we were getting these unverified reports of large layoffs from Project Titan. Um, and there was sort of dueling narratives going on. You had the you had the press reporting them as layoffs and you had Apple saying that they were, you know, winding down some teams and that, you know, engineers were able to apply for reassignment within Apple. And the big question was, does that mean that they're all going to get to stay or is it that they're basically having to apply for internal jobs that they may or may not get or how's that all going to pan out? We didn't know. Now we do. 190 of them will not be redeployed within Apple. They will be leaving Apple. They're being made redundant. Um, And most of those are engineers, as it happens. That's a shame. But um, yeah. It's just one of those. It's business, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and in Silicon Valley, I believe at the moment the uh, the issue is finding talent as opposed to um, finding jobs. So one would assume that these so engineers, they yeah, they will basically they will have to do a little, you know, they'll have to polish up their CV and hand it around. But the expectation would be that they would find work again quite easily. To be snapped up, yeah. Good. So hopefully that's true. So that jumps us to legal latest. Um, the first story I have, I think, is 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 a very interesting one. So an awful, awful lot of the stories we talk about in this section, and usually the ones that make me the crankiest, involve a single district in the United States legal system. Uh, it's based around the city of Dallas, and it's the uh, southeast district of Texas, I think. Or was it the southwest? Ah, the south-something district of Texas, anyway. And they are known for having juries that are particularly anti-corporation and pro-anyone who has any sort of patent claim. Really pro-patent role, to be honest. Um, And they just keep being a problem for Apple. And the way the law works in America is that if you have... They they try to nip in the bud this concept of venue shopping, where you would choose the court that was the most 
You know, so the person doing the suing would intentionally choose a court that was most likely to be most favorable to them. And that was seen as a problem. And so the, the, the things were tweaked so that you could only sue people in a district where they had a substantial place of business, I think was the phrasing used. And Apple were like, yes, fantastic. That gets us off the hook in this bloody Texas place. And the court went, well, actually, I believe you'll find you have some Apple stores. And Apple went, but they're not substantial places of business. And they went, oh, but they are, Mr. Apple. Uh, so Apple have found a solution. They're closing the Apple stores in Dallas. This is probably yeah. not good for the locals, but it's very good for yeah. Apple overall. Well, I must admit, whenever we talk about uh, legal stuff in America, uh, <laughs> particularly particularly this South Texas uh, mm. thing, it always it doesn't sound legal at all. I mean, it just sounds like people are making it up as they go along. <laughs> it really does. I mean, a lot of yeah, non-practicing entities, as we're supposed to call these trolls, they they make me a tiny bit cranky. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, what can you say? I mean, it, it's sad that Apple are shutting two stores and, and no doubt even sadder for people who work there. But um, in, in this case, I think I I, I would uh, say I can see exactly why Apple are doing it and it makes perfect sense. It's a, yeah. um, a defense move. Yeah, apparently there are the district isn't that big and so there are other Apple stores relatively close by for the people who live in that neck of the woods. So it won't be too big of a, of a problem for customers, but obviously employees would need to find work elsewhere, which is which is a pity. But I'm sure, Bart, that you would find it quite hard to be sorry for them because of <laughs> because of your situation in Ireland. <laughs> we have, well, no, I, I find it very easy to be sorry for the workers. I just I oh yes, care. not the workers. Yeah, yeah. yeah so no, the I people mean, who are whining but having to drive a little bit further to their nearest Apple store. <laughs> we we have none within our jurisdiction. And yes, there is one in Northern Ireland to know that is not the same country and that's going to be very, very extra true in a few weeks' time. Um, yes. Maybe. Maybe, or maybe a bit later. Uh, maybe being the operative word here in all sorts of ways. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, the other story we were talking or the other story that's just dragging on forever is Apple v Qualcomm. And the last episode, we spent a fair bit of time talking about what was going on in Germany, where a few court cases went against Apple with regards to patents. It was a bit of swings and roundabouts. Some of them went Apple's favour and against Qualcomm, and some of them went Qualcomm's favour against Apple. And there was all sorts of controversy with Apple not being able to sell certain models of their iPhone, which is obviously a big deal for Apple. So they seem to have found a new way around it. Um, so, So Apple have multiple suppliers for some of the chips in their phones, and so f- to get around the problems in Germany, they will be sticking exclusively with Qualcomm chips for the phones they sell in Germany. And that way they don't have this patent problem and that gets them back on sale in Germany. So that's a novel approach to this. So there's a special SKU for German phones, which are guaranteed mm. to have the Qualcomm chip and not, I believe it's I believe it's Samsung or the alternative vendor. No, I think the alternatives are Intel. Oh, is it Intel? It's Apologies. The modems. It's the modems. Yes, in that case, you're absolutely right. My apologies, yes. But, um, anyway, yeah, basically they've made a localised version and said all the ones going to Germany must not have uh, any alternative chips. Well, Tom only. Yeah. It, it, it's a good workaround. Yeah. Seems a perfectly sound workaround, and uh, no doubt it will be followed by uh, now we've got our own Apple modem. And uh, you can take it. Yeah, well, actually, you may as well. The, the, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I have that down as a quick story, but there are reports. Or maybe, did I even, I'm not even sure if I include it. We may as well get it out of the way now. 
because uh, none of this is, of course, confirmed, right? Apple didn't put out a press release saying, we have started making our own uh, modems. Um, but there's been apparently some reorging, and Apple apparently had engineers working on modems as a sort of a side project, uh, you know, an early stage investigative unit as opposed to a we are getting ready for production sort of unit. And they have now, apparently that team of people have been moved and they are now a part of the unit within Apple that does the A-series processors. And they're very much in production mode. So if their modem people are now working as part of the group that make their CPUs, it would imply that Apple are getting ready to crank out modems. Uh, And that's not surprising, really. No, it's not really surprising. The piece I... uh... I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, when it when it broke. Um, the people in the industry are saying that basically yeah, Apple appeared to have been running what you say, as you say, a sort of uh, sort of investigative, uh, you know, laying uh, the groundwork development. Yeah, it's a sort of development team, and that they've now moved them to the chip team, which means they're probably cranking up into. However. Um, People in the industry are saying it would, might still take, you know, two years to build um, a modem chip, which is because obviously you've got to build everything from the ground up because if they want to avoid any patent tomfoolery with Intel or Qualcomm, they will have to basically construct the whole stack from the ground up. And so, it, I mean, you know, it, there was a long time they bought a, I try to remember the name of the company, but they bought a company before they made their own CPUs. And, you know, we saw them buy the company. Everyone went, ooh, Apple are going to do their own CPUs. And then nothing happened for like three years. And everyone was like, what the hell happened to those guys? And then finally out came the CPUs because these things are not straightforward to do. And Apple can't, you know, ah, yeah, sure, we'll, manage, we'll make a few thousand modems. That'll do us. No, 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 no. They're, they're going to have to scale right up, which is... Yes, they're going to have to go straight to the, you know, millions, probably. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really big deal. Okay, um... I'm going to move us on then into notable numbers. Um, I don't think we want to spend too much time here, but some of these just sort of caught my eye. So apparently numbers show that in the US, this is not worldwide, these are US numbers, there is now more money being spent on vinyl and CDs than iTunes downloads. Now, why anyone would buy a CD, I haven't the vaguest idea, because the audio quality in a CD is really not that great. Uh, and it's definitely, well, it's, it's definitely provably worse than an iTunes download. Uh, but the vinyl thing I sort of get because you have that analog quality and, well, the hipster factor perhaps too. But anyway, yeah, how CDs have become hipster, I will never understand. But there we go. So I, I think, I, I did read this story and... This is just my personal take, but I suspect that this is more to do with people moving away from iTunes downloads and onto, you know, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify or whatever streaming platform. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't um, think there's so people it, buying more CDs or more vinyl. I think it's the opposite. Think, no. Well, uh, they do say that um, vinyl has certainly had a, a resurgence in, in people buying it. Um yeah, but compared but think, to when, right? Compared to last year, yes, probably yes. not so much, yes, but compared exactly. to five years yeah. ago, quite a lot. Yeah. But um, I think the point here is really it's more about iTunes downloads going down Yes. as people yes. move over to streaming. And the fact is that people who collect CD, you know, there are certain people who like to own their music. They like to collect the physical discs. 
be they vinyl or be they CDs, whatever. Yeah. And those people are always going to want to buy those things. So that's probably a fairly stable market, relatively. Yes. And yeah. so I think this is a kind of, you know, the tide is going out on digital downloads because people are shifting over to streaming. Yeah. And from from Apple's point of view, that's a good news story, actually, because a steady monthly income that doesn't depend on, you know, that's just, People either have a subscription or they don't. It doesn't matter whether they're buying a lot of music this month, listening to a little bit of music this month. As long as they keep that subscription going, the money keeps rolling in. So for Apple's new focus on services, this is definitely a very positive development. Mm. And to be honest, for the music industry, this is a positive development because piracy is just not a thing in music like it used to be because you spend your $10, $20, pounds, euros, whatever, on your subscription and you effectively have all the music. So why would yeah. you waste your time pirating it? Exactly. One of the nicest things um, I did recently that, that that bears that out really is um, I went to see a film and I quite liked the music in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I literally got back to my car and said, um, hey, S-Lady, <laughs> uh, play the soundtrack for the film that's only just out and away it went, you know, yeah, <laughs> which is really nice. Yeah, I, I am. I'm teetering on the edge. I'm one of those. I'm one of those people who likes to be really organised about my music and stuff, and carefully curated. And I don't even let iTunes move it around on my disc and stuff. And I think I'm about to throw the towel and then just get Apple Music. I, I'm darn close. Yeah, I, I didn't for quite a long time. I must admit, I've only only subscribed fairly recently, but I am finding it. It's just so useful to have all that music on yeah. tap, as it were. Well, I find myself listening to an album being reviewed on Fresh Air or something, uh, the NPR podcast, and I say, oh, that sounds like a really fun jazz album. I was like, well, I'm not going to buy that album, probably, but I wouldn't mind giving it a listen. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I think I, I definitely getting, I, I, I think, actually, this conversation may be it. This may be the final straw. I think I probably will go ahead. <laughs> um. The other related news, I guess, is that US, again, US only, iPhone users spend, on average, $79 on apps last year, which is up 36% as compared to 2017. So 2018 up 36% from 2017. This is not, to me, shocking. This is basically a continuation of what's been the story all along. People who buy iPhones seem to be prepared to pay for software more so than people who buy Androids. Yeah, and and we know that um, quite a lot of stuff, uh, quite a lot of Apple. No, I'll start that again. Um, that that a fair amount now of Apple's uh, income is coming from services. Yes. So people are spending more once they've got the phone. They're actually spending quite a lot more afterwards as well. Yeah. So the next story then to, to catch my eye in terms of notable numbers is some strategy analytics look at the smartwatch market. Um, you know, we don't get official numbers from Apple about this. We never have. Um, so we, we're sort of relying on these kind of numbers. And to be honest, I always take them with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, while they may not be correct in terms of the actual physical numbers, they should be meaningful if you look at them compared to what strategy analytics thought last year if they're wrong they're probably wrong in a similar way um and even if the actual numbers aren't right the ratios between the companies are probably reasonably correct so i guess the good news story is that apple have captured half of the global smartwatch shipments for q4 2018 and strategy analytics think sorry 18 million smartwatches were sold 
in Q4 2018, which is not nothing. No. So the whole segment, in fact, according to Strategy Analytics, grew by 54% year over year, which is pretty darn good. It'd be interesting to see it against, um, stand, you know, um, normal watches, wouldn't it? And see if that's if there's an impact the other way. I would imagine the normal watch market stayed pretty darn flat, would be my yeah. guess. Because I'm not sure. An awful, awful lot of people who I see with Apple watches, I'll sort of ask them, you know, did you change from a normal watch to an Apple watch? And the answer is no. I, I just haven't worn a watch in a decade. Yeah, that's true. It's the same for me. And me, yeah. Mm, I've um, always worn a watch, on the other hand. On the other hand, you I, say? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't Actually, wear two watches. In, in my case, people have to do it, haven't they? Well, I used to wear my watch on my right hand when I used to wear a real watch, um, and I destroyed many, many watches. And I was always getting, you know, my parents were always saying, you know, you're supposed to wear your watch on the hand you don't use for stuff. Like that's, You know, your right hand and put it on your left hand. I was like, but well, that's weird. I always use my right hand, including for looking at the time. And then when I switched to the Apple Watch, I said, look, I'm an adult now. How's about I listen to some sane advice? And so I've now switched to being a left-handy person like normal. But anyway, that's so on the other hand, I now have a watch again. Um, just well, for context... <laughs> just, up, just to throw a spanner in that one, I'm left-handed and I've always worn my watch on my left hand. Yeah, I see that you're more likely to damage them that way because that's the hand you're using for stuff. Anyway, to put some numbers in this, this is very much a growing market, right? So Q4 2017, according to Strategy Analytics, um, the entire market for smartwatches was 11.6 million. As of 2018, that's up to 18.2 for Q4. So it's definitely a growing yeah, market. It's a fair here. growth in that, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, the other thing now, just to mention something else that's growing, is Apple Pay, which has 383 million users worldwide. So on the one hand, it's sort of, you could argue, it's been very slow to roll out, but it has been a bit of a tortoise and a hare. It's just been slowly but steadily rolling out extra banks and extra countries. So just culling from this month's news, 20 new banks were added in many different countries and Apple Pay arrived for the first time in Saudi Arabia and the Czech Republic. So it, it oh, just... I'm surprised. I'm surprised about that Saudi Arabia hadn't already got it. That's yeah, unless amazing. they have particularly strict regulations or something that it's hard to get into. Uh, it could be, couldn't it, yeah. Because yeah, you're right, that it is a big market for Apple, Saudi Arabia, because... They like status symbols and, you know, gold blingy Apple watches and stuff. It's quite impressive, isn't it, that that Apple have have managed to get it distributed this widely, really, because... um, Well, I think so, because every country has an awful lot of... Yes, right, they're going to have to get into conversations with, you know, multiple banks in every country. And not just the banks, the regulators too, right? So you go into a country, yeah, you've got to yeah. square everything with the local regulation. And then when you have that done, then you get to start negotiating with each local bank one by one. So, you know, while people say, yeah, but they rolled the iTunes store out really quickly. It's like, yeah, but once you had one country's rules done, you are done, right? You just had the rights to sort out. With Apple Pay, it's okay. Now we, the regulators are happy with us. Now we get to start the real negotiations. Yeah. But it's, I, I think it's impressive, and I, I am such a heavy Apple Pay user. I would never, I, I, I don't know how we lasted without. I yeah, I use, I use it a lot. And online, it's great. When a website supports it, it's so bloody convenient. Click, check out with Apple Pay. Your watch goes tap, tap. You go, yep, that's me. <laughs> and it's paid. Yeah. You type, nothing. You just click, tap, done. 
it's brilliant. Yes, and secure. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's the, the best other. bit, right? Because nice a one-time thing. credit yeah. card number is being sent silently behind the scenes. So, yeah, it's especially given the modern world we live in, it's real peace of mind to be able to do as much as possible with Apple Pay. Yeah, we've moved a long way from the um, those carbon things they used to use in the... Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ka-tunk, ka-tunk. <laughs> that's right. There. Yeah. yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, dear. All right. Um, I'm going to move us into the next section, which is Apple HR news. And this is usually a section we fly through very quickly, just making a few, oh, yeah, by the by, this person you've never heard of came from this shiny company to work at Apple, and this shiny Apple person you've never heard of has moved off somewhere else. This month is marginally different. Um, I'm pretty darn sure we've all heard of Angela Arendt's. She is apparently very amicably departing from Apple in April. And she is being replaced-ish by Deirdre O'Brien, who's a long-time um, Apple... I always describe as an Apple veteran, as if Apple is some sort of war. Um, and maybe under Steve Jobs, that's not a bad description. But anyway, Deirdre's been at Apple for a long time. She currently holds the role of Vice President of People. Um... And she will become. I wonder, I wonder how. I wonder how vice president of people is different to head of HR. Well, apparently you're doing more than just the nitty gritty of running HR. You're interested in. Well, I'll tell you actually. The big difference is she's also over Apple University. Ah, oh, okay. Um, so it's it's not just the HR aspect of people. It's also the education culture aspect of people. So it's broader than just HR, and now it's even broader. Because she's gone from a VP to an SVP, Senior Vice President, mm-hmm. which means she reports directly to Tim Cook. And she actually has a plus symbol in her title. She is now the Senior VP for Retail Plus People, which is an odd title. Mm-hmm. And this has a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, because on the one hand, particularly with the plus in there, people are saying, well, this is clearly station keeping. They're just, you know, these are two portfolios clumped together into one person for now but obviously the plus is going to go away and it's going to be a senior VP for retail and one for people I don't know about that because if you're the kind of person who's interested in how humans work and you have experience in how humans work what is a retail store only Apple reaching out to the other humans that matter to Apple she's gone from looking after the humans who work for Apple to the humans who are customers of Apple as well as the humans who work for Apple I'm not at all sure this this doesn't make sense and I'm not at all sure this isn't permanent yeah, maybe. And of course, pe- uh, people, I mean, there's an awful lot of those people who actually work in the Apple stores, aren't there? There are. And she was a involved. large chunk. Yeah. And uh, if you look at her experience in Apple, yes, she's now senior VP of people, but it's not that she has no retail experience. She was involved in the launch of the original physical stores and in the launch of the online stores. And oh, okay. Apple, in their press release, went out of their way to say that she was involved with the launch of every Apple product. So. I don't think she's as weird of a choice as it would appear at first blush. No, <clears throat> I, I think um, I think there's probably more to that than um, we know. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do get the impression that Angela is is leaving genuinely for for the reason she said she wants to be spend more time with her family, which is usually a cliche, right? But uh, in this case, yeah. I think it genuinely is because you know having to move away from London does seem to have been hard for her yeah well i mean the other thing is when we discussed this on the essential apple um not just angela but you know these sort of high-powered people in the tech sphere per se Mm. you know um 
I mean, we've got you've got a couple more further down here, obviously. Um, is that these people, on the whole, are you know very they're the top of their field. They're you know mm. in maybe one of ten people in the world who you know are at that level. Yeah, and they move around searching challenges or yes. things that catch their interest. They come to Apple and do something, and you know they're there for four or five years, and then they finish that project and they leave and it's not because they've fallen out with apple they go off to tesla or microsoft yeah. or or somewhere it's somewhere else that is offering them something that catches their attention they just and angela was you know, kind of unusual not, right because yes. she went from ceo at burberry to senior vice president at apple very few people go down the org chart now yes you could say better to be uh, uh, you know in almost, you know, a second from biggest fish in a giant pond as opposed to the biggest fish in a small pond. But it's nonetheless unusual for people to go from CEO, you know, a C-level position to a VP-level position, even if it is that an is, SVP. That is true. So she is slightly un, unusual in that. But again, you know, she kind of seems to be giving me the impression that she went to Apple with a specific mission in mind. And having, you know, I think she feels that she has accomplished what she set out to do, and therefore it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think. Basically, I don't think there's anything underhand going on here. I think we actually can take this at face value, and all the signs are we can, because otherwise, if she was being fired, Alice got forestall, she wouldn't be still in her job until April. Yeah, Scott forestall yeah, certainly didn't get to keep his office until April. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, he did not. No, no he was, was an advisor to Steve Jobs with a portfolio of nothing and no particular time or place to be, sort of what he ended up being. Basically, we'll keep paying you so you can't work for one of our competitors for a year and now bugger off. <laughs> In other news, yeah. we have another departure. Um, AOR pioneer Avi Barzeev is leaving Apple, also apparently very amicably. Um but Apple have then promoted 21-year Apple veteran Frank Casanova. What a wonderful name. Uh, so he's been at Apple for a long time, but he is now becoming Apple's first ever senior director worldwide product marketing at Apple Augmented Reality. Gosh, that's a long, a long title. That's a long title. It is a long title. It even has a comma. Business card. Well, Does he have a special fold-out business card? You know, <laughs> no, 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 it's AOR. You look at it through some sort of goggle and then the, the, the name sticks off the two ends. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps it scrolls around in a Times, you know. Oh, it has square. a scroll like the old, that horrible HTML marquee tag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it even has a comma in it, actually. He's Senior Director, comma, Worldwide Product Marketing and Apple Augmented Reality. Now that's actually from his LinkedIn rather than his business card, but nonetheless, oh. it's it's a pretty long title. Uh, but it's interesting that Apple so he's not replacing someone. This is simply a role that didn't exist before. So that's that's kind of interesting. Again, augmented reality is clearly of interest to Apple. Um, and Apple also hired um, a former Microsoft engineer to join their Apple Home team. We don't know um, Sam Jadala's job title. We just know from his LinkedIn that he's now with Apple's home team. So again, mm -hmm. another area that I'm not surprised to see Apple recruiting high-level people for. Obviously, it's of interest to them. Yeah. Um, and just as a, 
um, an aside, uh, Avi Barzeev, um, who is leaving. If you look up, um, if you look up his CV, he mm. has worked for Microsoft. He has worked for uh, Amazon. He's worked for Apple, but he's very much a development man. He comes in and builds sort of uh, initial Gets things frameworks. going. Yeah, yes, he's very much a concept to initial framework guy he he doesn't seem to do any kind of later development he gets things off the ground and then he moves on somewhere else to do another project so he seems very much a you know one challenge after another kind of guy um, and goes it, wherever whatever case his interest and it's very very different to solve the fundamental problems versus to fine-tune something into a product yeah. right going from this is impossible to aha here's how you do it that is well, frankly, the sexy fun part. Uh, but going from technology to product is something which Apple is very, very good at, uh, but it's a very, very, very different skill. So I can see how if you're the kind of person who likes to solve problems as opposed to to finesse solutions, you would go somewhere, solve something, and then move on to the next challenge. Precisely. Well, let us move into our main stories. Uh, we have four of them this month. So the first one is I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to make this a main story or a follow-up, but I figured, no, this is worthy of making a main story. So we remember the big brouhaha around the San Bernardino shooting and the FBI's attempt to strong-arm Apple into making a backdoor for all iPhones and how, no, 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 this golden key backdoor thingamabob that we're not calling a backdoor nor a golden key, but it really is one. That would never get out and that would only be used by law enforcement in very rare situations, no problem at all. I am very much on the record saying hogwash, that's not how planet Earth or reality works. And I now have a nice little piece of evidence on my side of that argument. So Celebrite are a grey hat company. They have tools for hacking certain models of iPhone. It's not exactly clear how they work. It's not exactly clear all the models they can break into at any given point in time. And it's not clear exactly which versions of the OS they can break into at any given point in time. But it is definitely the case that certain iPhones, particularly if they don't have the most recent software, can be broken into by physical devices sold by Celebrite. In theory, those devices are only sold to law enforcement and they are not sold to evil foreign governments apart from the ones we like. Um, and in theory, they should only ever be in the hands of the good guys. Or anyone with $100 and access to eBay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now this, I, I have some sort of semi-insider information on Ooh, this part. I will take that Ooh. with great joy. Um... Obviously, uh, at Dougie in our Slack room, Andy J, uh, um, who is a digital forensics uh, specialist, and that's mm-hmm. what he does for a job. Um, that's a cool job. He, it is a cool job, and he knows, uh, you know, an awful lot about these sort of tools. These are the sort of things that he works with. Mm. Um, this story um, didn't particularly make it clear initially that the ones which are available on eBay are second-hand and old. They're yes. fairly old models. Yes, um, they will hack but, less phones than whatever you could buy right now. Well, um, uh, Andy tells me that effectively these things are scrap. They are junk. They will not open anything later than a 4S. Yeah, they there's a useless. lot of 4Ss out there. That is true, but um, you know, they, they have... It, they have a different, very scary value. 
Um, a lot of them are being sold secondhand without being cleaned. Nah. Mm. So you get nah. someone else's data as a little bonus extra. So there's some nasty privacy implications too. Mm. Oh, I mean, the fact really. that you know that they're available at all is yeah. not good. Not good at all. But. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> as Andy said to me, these things are supposed to be fifteen thousand uh, dollars to buy, um, mm-hmm. and they trade secondhand at a hundred. But they are, in, in, to all intents and purposes, almost useless. I, I, would, I would argue with the fact that, that it's useless to be able to break into old iPhones. I think that actually has quite well, a bit of value. Not- There's a lot of them about. I guess that is possibly true, but th- there we go. There, but they're very different, the, obviously. Insider's view. Yeah, no, no, no it's <clears> interesting. And it, it is obviously very different to, I mean, whatever the deluxe current model of the Celebrite Yoki is, can obviously do a lot more. And if they ever were sold on eBay, they wouldn't be going for 100 bucks. <laughs> no. But, uh, uh, even, moment, so, even so, even so, the fact that they're out there. Oh, yeah. When, when they said that they. Of course, you know, we'll take good care of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it's bad, isn't it? Regardless of how bad or um, how many machines it might be able to hack, the fact that it's out there and they said, that, oh, you can trust us, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that is, of course, that is totally exactly how the real world happens because once it, that somebody, you know, who was using it possibly, you know, uh, totally legitimately is done with it, they probably throw it in a storeroom as no longer usual. Yeah. And Does anyone know what this box is? <laughs> somebody at some point says, clear all that junk out of the storeroom. And, you know, some janitor or whatever thinks, oh, this looks like it's interesting. Maybe I could sell that on eBay. Or maybe officially, according to the paperwork, it was scrapped, but someone went, no, I know what to do with that. Uh, I yeah. know what I'm doing with it. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. Um and it's Not inevitable. Good. It's just in, inevitable. And it's also inevitable. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I, I think what we'd like to say is policymakers just no, no, just take a note. Take note. Take note. <laughs> take note. Yeah, exactly. And the other, <laughs> I guess, the other point that underlines this is the Vault 7 breach of the CIA hacking tools. Or was it the NSA? Sugar. NSA, I think, yeah. Vault 7. Like, NSA. If the NSA can't keep their back doors private, who the hell can? Exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Okay, so the next story I have here is one of these composite stories we get to do because we're a monthly show. We get to take a little step back and, and look at the bigger picture. And I've just sort of titled this a bad month for privacy in the iOS app store. So the first thing at the start of the month that got everyone all a flutter was reporting that discovered what I would call inappropriate use of a very valid UI analytics tool. So one of the hardest things when you're a developer is to figure out what your users will do with your app. You, as a person writing the code, are the last person on the planet who will have an understanding of what's easy to use and what's hard to use, because you will never be confused by the UI you created. You will know that if I want to do X, I click this button over here, and to you, it's blindingly obvious. You hand that app to a random stranger, and they may end up scratching their heads and getting completely lost in places you would never have thought were confusing. So there are tools specifically designed for user experience or UX testing. And these tools watch everything the person does, and then you can see that they're clicking away, clicking away, and then they get stuck. So then you take a screenshot, you capture the fact that they were stuck here for 10 minutes or whatever, you send all that data back, and you improve your app. Like, ooh, pain point, this is not good, this is good. 
Now, my so this tool is not illegitimate, but I would say this is what goes into a beta app. This is not what you put into a live shipping banking app, particularly (laughs) the screenshotting feature. Now, the API actually supports the ability to mark UI elements as being sensitive so that the API, when it takes the screenshot, will auto-blur everything that the API has been told is super secret. So it's not just that there's an API being used that I would argue is for the beta process rather than for a live app, but they're not even using the privacy tools built into the tool itself properly. So on the one hand, you had people losing their ever-loving mind. Remember, why are these? I mean, this sounds like malware. It's like, no, 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 this is a perfectly legitimate tool. It's just being horribly, inappropriately used by certain apps. Bottom line, Apple went, oh, for goodness sake. Right, dearest developers, we know who is using this framework because we can see it in your code. You need to stop or you need to be really explicit with your users that you're doing this or we're throwing your app out of the app store pick one and so i think that sort of nips that in the bud but that wasn't it for apple in terms of trouble because then her good friends at facebook decided to come back and cause a little bit more bother (laughs) uh so some reporters very cleverly um got some now this isn't just an ios problem this is ios and android they got some smartphones and uh, they basically actually kind of ironically really they basically did what Facebook and Google were doing, but on their own phones. So they installed a root certificate so they could break into all encrypted communications. And then they started running apps in the App Store and breaking into the encryption to see what was emanating from the phone as it was being used with these apps. And what they discovered was that an awful lot of apps report an awful lot of data to Facebook. So imagine you have an app to measure your heartbeat. Imagine it's the most popular heart rate tracker in the iOS store. Would you expect that app to ping Facebook within seconds of every measurement to tell them how your heartbeat's doing? I wouldn't. It gets worse, though. Uh, If you're using an app for tracking ovulation for... You know, there are many reasons, you know, health reasons and making babies reasons. Would you expect Facebook to be told where you are in your menstrual cycle or when and where you attempted at procreation with or without protection? Would you expect that to be sent to Facebook in real time? Or if you're viewing houses, what houses at what price you're looking at? So basically how much money you have to spend on a house? And yet, all of this is exactly what was going on, and is probably still going on. Uh, Because Facebook have these APIs where people can basically sign up, and they get paid by Facebook for shoving data at Facebook, and it helps Facebook target ads, and it's, it's, it's a whole big part of how Facebook hoovers up data. And the really, really scary part is, you don't have to be logged into Facebook for this. So it's not like, oh, but you use a hard tracking app, and you logged into Facebook with that app, so of course you're being spied on. No, 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 no. They are reporting to Facebook that the person with email address X or with username X or from IP address X or from phone with serial number X, basically they're using not your Facebook ID, but enough for Facebook to connect the data to a Facebook ID to send this information back to Facebook. And also Facebook collect this information on everyone, not just Facebook users. They collect this information on everyone. 
so-called, I think it's uh, dark profiles. Basically, Facebook keep a profile on every email address they ever see, every phone number they ever see, and they hope one day to connect it to a Facebook account. But if they don't, they'll just keep it anyway and they keep building up the profile. So even though I am not a Facebook user, I know Facebook are collecting all this information about me anyway. It's, yeah. And of course, these apps did not have it written clearly in their privacy policies. It's insidious, isn't it? The whole thing. <laughs> it's terrible. The whole thing is insidious, um, yeah. It is insidious. And the, the whole um, thing about this is um, that this stuff is getting into these apps because Facebook are what they're giving um, developers or companies in exchange for this uh, data for this is, is analytics. So, um, you know, people uh, who are making these apps are putting it in there, whether they are, uh, you know, uh, explicitly aware of how much information it's hoovering up for uh, Facebook it might be open to discussion. But what they're doing it for is because, uh, Facebook will then give them analytics on uh, who is using their app and how many downloads and all sorts of other things which developers of these sorts of products are interested in. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, they're not telling people that uh, they're doing it. And, uh, yeah, Facebook are, of course, hoovering up all the information about everyone, including me. Well, you know, not that I use a heart-tracking app or a real... Uh, I was going to say, I don't have a menstruation app, app the... uh, for very obvious <laughs> no. reasons. No, but, uh, you know, then again, you know, uh, in my case, my wife might have such a thing and that would no doubt, you know, be sending back information about all sorts of things. Uh, and, and this is by it. no means limited to these apps, right? These were the, these were oh, the no. examples highlighted in the Wall Street Journal because they're particularly egregious. And they were just the first, you know, they topped, I think they said they took the top 71 apps and something like 15 of them were doing this. Yep. Um yeah, and you do hear you do hear people online, and I know sometimes it's it's um, it, uh, I'm some, I know sometimes it's not true, but mm. you do hear people say, "I was doing such and such, and how how did how did my computer know that I, I'd just done that, or mm. I'd been doing that in the last week, or." Um, um, yeah. Uh, and it's just and it's just getting worse, isn't it? I mean, it's getting it more and more and more. Yeah, and it's going to be um, re- it's it'd be really embarrassing, wouldn't it, if you if you were trying for a child, and uh, and and suddenly the app an app pops up a message saying, you know, have, have you thought of buying this or have you thought of buying that when you haven't actually told anybody? Well, <laughs> How did that happen? I've <laughs> seen two two stories actually, Nick, in the last week or so around that one was uh, a woman who wrote a piece saying i tried to hide my pregnancy from facebook um she's failed I'm and guessing. social media yes um and not because you know it was a secret but because she didn't particularly want to be bombarded with um baby uh, stuff and yeah baby yeah. stuff and whatnot and partly, if I recall correctly, that she said she'd had difficulty in the past, possibly with miscarriages or failed pregnancies. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you if that is a problem for you, you do not want to have an early uh, failure of your pregnancy and then be dogged around the neck for the next nine months with... Oh, God, yeah. You know, yeah. Reminded. That's awful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Congra- terrible. Congratulations, glad to hear you're pregnant and so on. Um, yeah. And the second, the second story... And, yes, she failed um, eventually... 
Um, and the second one was one I read this morning where a woman basically said, I decided to do exactly the opposite, which was I staged a fake pregnancy by downloading a, <laughs> uh, what, a what to, uh, you know, what to expect now you're pregnant app mm. um, and waited to see how long it would be before Facebook started sending me apps about um, pregnancy mm. or, you know, ads. Um, it yeah. took 11 hours. 11 hours. 11 hours after. Eleven hours after she downloaded this, what to expect now you're pregnant, and entered her details, you know, and so thus staged a fake pregnancy. Um, within eleven hours, uh, Facebook were targeting her with pregnancy-related adverts. That's terrifying. <laughs> this... <laughs> Isn't it just that is the, shocking. There really. was a very interesting episode of the Reply All podcast that was tackling this, and they didn't come at it directly; they came at it indirectly because the problem they were trying to solve was the question of are Facebook listening to me are they abusing Mm. my microphone to listen to me because that was a conspiracy theory for a long time i mean how could they know well the conclusion the podcast came to was like no no no, they're not listening to you they're just spying on every single app pretty much on your phone (laughs) it's like yeah yeah Yeah. oh (laughs) yeah so they are sort of listening to you but sort of in a sort of non-listening way (laughs) precisely so it's not that your microphone is on it's way way more insidious and this is just the latest example of this torrent i mean ken ray has got this dyson of data is how he describes facebook Mm. and google these days and i think that's absolutely correct and the thing is facebook's response to this was say oh i mean our rules say this is not allowed this is developers abusing our api and i'm thinking i know how apis work i i'm a programmer an api will not accept something that doesn't you know, it doesn't have a box to put it in. So if yeah. you're able to submit information on these health things, there's a box, so there, there, there's a pigeonhole awaiting it that the API can do. So I don't buy this for a bloody moment. Also, literally, Facebook's industry is data. You're telling me Facebook doesn't know what data they're gathering? No, that is mm. Facebook's core business. That's like saying that General Electric don't know anything about electricity. <laughs> yes, good point. Stretches credulity is is how I would say it, the politest possible way. Now, yes. the annoying thing here is that while everyone is immediately going, well, Apple just clearly need to ban this. It's like, well, there's no technical way to do that because Apple have forced all apps to use secure communication to backend servers. Because a big problem earlier in the App Store's history was developers not doing the communication between an app and the web service powering the app securely. And that meant that people's data was in plain text whooshing across the internet. So Apple changed the rules for the iOS app so that you had to use HTTPS for these kind of backhaul conversations with the servers powering your app, which is a massive security boost. But that means that Apple have now lost visibility into these channels of communication. So really, the only thing Apple can do is make very clear policies, and whenever someone has found they breach those policies, punish them. But they mm. can't just flip a magic unicorn switch and turn this off. Which is annoying, because, of course, the whole internet was full of, well, Apple just needs to stop doing this. Yeah, just. Just. You've used that word. right? To me, as an IT person, there is a four-letter word that I detest more than any other four-letter word on planet Earth. It's the word yeah. just. <laughs> yes, just to make it work. Yeah, <laughs> it is very rare that that word is used in a technical conversation in a way that doesn't make my head explode. Well, why don't you just? <laughs> anyway, oh yes. 
Anyway, uh, the other story that I think it hasn't quite caught on fire, but it nonetheless just underscores for me how difficult a position Apple are in. Uh, members of Congress have written to Tim Cook. He's getting a lot of letters from Congress this this month um, to demand that the Saudi that they have an app in the Saudi Arabian App Store that does a whole bunch of perfectly legal things in Saudi Arabia. But of course, Saudi Arabia has a very interesting concept of a woman's place in the law where basically there is this concept of male guardianship where a woman has men who are literally legally her guardian as if she were a four-year-old and that can be pretty much any relative any man who's related to her including her son which is particularly insidious Hmm. but that's me making a value judgment i don't live in saudi arabia i'm not saudi arabian this app is 110% legal in Saudi Arabia. And the thing is, the app doesn't let anyone do anything that no, that you can't do in Saudi Arabia anyway, because the app is just tying into various APIs for airline sites and so on and so forth. So the app isn't doing anything that every Saudi Arabian man can't do already. But the problem is, right. the app allows Saudi Arabian men to do things like block their... The, 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 frankly, the, the, the women they control's passport get push notifications whenever the passport is used, get push notifications whenever an airline ticket is bought. It's, I mean, it's basically parental controls, only they're controlling the parent. Yeah. Because the parent happens to be the mother or the wife. It's, look, again, I'm showing my, I'm making a value judgment on another culture, yada, yada, yada. But the thing is, that's exactly what Congress want Apple to do. They want Apple to block this app in Saudi Arabia because... While it's 100% legal, it does not comport with Western values. That's a tricky one, isn't it? It is a tricky it one. Is. That's much more um, because... I mean, I think, we, I, think, a, I think we all think it's, 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 I mean, from our perspective... Oh, yeah. Like for, it shouldn't for, be allowed at all, but, yeah, it's a tricky one. If it was in the Irish app store, it'd be a pretty open and shut case and it'd be out in the morning. Yep. Yeah. But it's not in the Irish App Store. It's in the Saudi Arabian App Store. And in Saudi Arabia, it's 100% uncontroversial. Well, not 100% uncontroversial. Because there is a growing, growingly vocal and visible movement of women who really find this quite objectionable. Mm. But yeah, it's. I would not want to be Tim Cook having to make a call on that. No. Um, that, that That is a very difficult one because... If you're not careful, you you're going to get you could be accused of you know um, cultural colonialism or or right you know. yeah I mean where is the line between cultural imperialism and protecting Western you know protecting Western human rights when, I mean yeah. as as Hillary Clinton would have put it it's, there's no such thing as women rights they're human rights and mm. they are human rights you know they like are. freedom yeah. of I, movement I. Yeah, it's very difficult. I guess in the end, I suspect that Apple will probably pull this out, um, and they will probably pull it on the grounds that yeah, it, it's um, incompatible with our views on human rights. But um, you know, as you say, in Saudi Arabia, it's a perfectly legal thing to yeah. be doing. And Apple get constantly criticised for censorship, yeah. so they really can't win here. No. Yeah. Although, of course, as, as <laughs> yes, I know. Thing, yes, I know. I mean, that's it perfectly, right? Because it's Islamophobic or it's human rights abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh dear. Yeah, that's a yeah. Uh, glad I don't have to make that decision. Yeah. yeah, me too. I mean, I know what decision I'd make, but it would it would be unpopular <laughs> to Saudi Arabians. <laughs> certain, certain uh, you know, certain types of Saudi Arabians. Yeah, yes. Um, it, yeah. And you have the danger of setting a precedent that you're now going to be bound to forever. Like it's, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a moral minefield. It is a moral minefield. Part of, you, part you, of the problem of being a huge international company, isn't it? Yes, it is to be honest. Because if I mean, you're a single nation country, it's much easier. You just stick to the to the average morals of your nation. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's still the same, but um, for example, the find my friends feature, you can abuse that. You can use that to track your kids or your wife, or you know, if you if you're inclined to do so. You can, yeah. uh, but of course. Other adults would have to sign up and agree to being tracked, but then again, oh, yeah. you know, you know, your just, kids wouldn't. Know. But you know, you, you are the guardian of your kids, so that's mm. that's you know. On the one hand, it's the same technology, but on the other hand, it's so so different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let us let us leave Tim Cook in his little moral minefield um, and move on. So, the, okay. So the next story I had in here is the one we've already talked about. Apple would appear to be on their way to making their own uh, modems, which given that, you know, what is an iPhone? It's a computer that talks to the internet. Apple make the computer part of that, the CPUs. Of course they want to make the modem part, especially because Qualcomm and Apple are having a, t- a teeny bit of a spat at the moment. Yes. So I, I think we'll move we'll move along from that one, and I think we I don't think we can avoid I don't think we want to avoid talking about foldy phones. So hey. it, it was <laughs> this month. Um, the Barcelona is the city that hosts the Mobile World Congress, which is a giant big CES of cell phones, where everyone apart from the two biggest companies in the world, which is Apple and Samsung, do their big announcements. But both Apple and Samsung are big enough to hold standalone events. Now, Samsung held an event, I think, one week before Mobile World Congress to get their announcement out. And other announcements were made at Mobile Congress. But what broke this year, what has become the thing for this year's Mobile World Congress, is foldable phones because of the fact that OLEDs can be made to bend and not break. And actually, one of the things almost no one knows is that the iPhone ten, 10s, and 10s Max, and iPhone ten Plus as well, um, actually use foldable or use curved OLED screens. That's why they have no chin and forehead, because underneath the bezel, the screen actually bends back on itself so that it can be electrically connected under itself, and that's how it's possible for those screens to be edge to edge. So that is a flexible OLED display, but it's just not, you don't flex it. It gets flexed in the factory to make it fit in its case and it never, you know, and it stays at that flex, but it's kind of interesting. But these devices do not flex once and that's that. These devices are designed to to be both a phone and a mini tablet. And the idea being that you fold to converge from one to the other. And they, to me, there's two really big ones. You have um, the... Galaxy Fold from Samsung. I say 10 marks out of 10, Samsung, for coming up with a completely unambiguous and unconfusing name. (laughs) And Huawei went with the Mate X, or 10, or X. You think it's an X because it's not Apple? Mm. 
But um, either way, the, what strikes me as interesting is that Samsung's phone folds in on itself. So there's a small, relatively speaking, by modern standards, screen on one of the outsides of the phone when it's closed, which is sort of your phone screen while it's in phone mode. And that screen is completely independent from the big screen, which is tucked away inside the phone while it's closed over. And then when you open the phone out like a book, then you get the two halves of this foldable screen flattening out to become one big-ish, square-ish screen. And the obvious downside is any app that's running has to jump from one physical display to another physical display. So it's not just a change in aspect ratios and stuff. It's like you've got to disengage one screen and engage another screen. Um, the obvious, the other obvious disadvantage is that the, the level of folding is really high because the two sides of the screen basically come within a millimeter or so of touching each other. So that's quite a sharp bend for that little piece of screen to absorb thousands and thousands of times over and back, over and back without becoming an obvious visible crease. That could be difficult. On the other hand, your shiny big OLED screen is protected from the world. Huawei went the opposite approach, literally the opposite approach. So their phone, the the big screen is wrapped around the outside of the phone and you flap it out on itself. So the amount of bending is, is at a much, much less tight radius. But the whole time the thing is in your pocket, the screen is your outer surface and you can't put a case on it because it's the screen. And it's made of plastic because while the OLED can bend, we do not have bendy glass. So it's a really scratchy most delicate part out phone and the price tag for both of these is within spitting distance of two thousand dollars uh well the, you get the two phones <laughs> yeah the um the the huawei mate um was pitched at two thousand two hundred and ninety nine euros which i believe uh translate to two thousand six hundred u s dollars well, that makes the Samsung positively cheaper, one thousand nine hundred eighty dollars. Doesn't it just? Uh, oh, that's for a G four though. If you want a G five, it's two thousand something. Oh, Jesus. Two thousand two hundred or something dollars. But that's still a lot less than two thousand six hundred US dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, I think the first thing to say is these are obviously effectively prototype devices you can buy if you way have more money than sense kind of person. This is not a product intended for mass market. This is this is dipping your toe in the water. These are the kind of prototypes I know. Okay, I don't know, no. But I would be shocked if Apple didn't have devices like this internally within Apple in their labs. But Apple would never release a half-baked product like this. But of course, for pundits like us, this is fantastic. Because we get to see the ideas that are being road tested here because these are two right the problem to be solved is i don't want a phone and a tablet i want one device that gives me everything and that's that's a true problem right whoever solves that problem has themselves an amazing product but uh, yeah i agree but uh, are there loads of people out there saying i really want to be able to fold my phone well i think there are actually right because the phablet was supposed to stop the need for buying two devices. And the, the reason they're popular is because people can buy one device instead of two. But they're clunky. 
There is yeah. no doubt that a phablet is a clunky device. So if you could have your cake and eat it, if you if, if you could have a, a usable mini tablet that is not a pain in the backside to carry around with you all the time, yeah, it'd sell. It'd sell really well. But this is not mm-hmm. that product. This is a potential... These are two potential. These are two different routes to potential solutions, neither of which may prove to be the actual final solution. Maybe a, a roll-up screen is the answer, where you sort of you have your phone and you pull something out of the side and it goes, and it becomes bigger and go, like you know, set of blinds or something. I don't know what the final solution yeah. will be. I think I said on Essential Apple that um, at least they're giving it a go. <laughs> they are exactly. So we get to basically yeah. see prototyping in public, which we're never going to get from Apple. Sometimes Apple prototypes after the fact end up on eBay and Apple snap them away pretty quickly. So we sometimes yeah. retroactively get to see an Apple prototype. But this is basically the battle of ideas being played out in public instead of private. And as a tech nerd, I think it's fascinating to look at these two devices. Mm. And they're both clearly compromised devices, but they've both made different trade-offs. I really Mm. want to see how a year, you know, after six months of real-world use, which of these two devices is most messed up? Mm. Crinkle gate. If it was an Apple product, it would be Uh, Gate, of course. (laughs) That's what we nicknamed it. We said it'd be Crease Gate or Crinkle Gate. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I will be stunned if these screens don't begin to deteriorate from the bending. And is one short, sharp bend more damaging to an OLED screen than a a gentle curve repeated over and over again? I guess Mm. we'll find out in six months. (laughs) We will indeed. I I have to say... uh, Oh, I'm not. I'm not convinced by the whole folding phone concept at the moment. Um, it could be wrong. See, um, I'm not, I'm not the convinced. Market, these yeah. certainly are not anything more than kind of early prototypes, and we. Yeah. I don't know. The market will decide. People will either decide that this is something they really want, or it will be a fad and it will go away because people will say there's too many compromises or they're too prone to breaking or the hinges failing or whatever. We, we don't know. See, um, I, I am convinced that the problem they're trying to solve is, is, is genuine, but I'm not convinced either of these are the solution. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, my, uh, my view of the part of, you know, why you might want to make a foldable device would be less about, making a phone that turns into a tablet and more about uh, making your tablet more portable by, for example, being able to have a, you know, a 16-inch iPad which you can Ooh. fold in half <laughs> to, oh, to make smaller. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I'd quite... Yeah, if my iPad Pro were more portable just by being able to be just clapped shut. Yeah. Oh. Well, I like we, your thinking. I, mean, I like your thinking. That's the... That's the but the, the same challenges would, although I guess um, with something like a, a, an iPad Pro, you would not be wanting to open and close it a hundred times a day, whereas with a phone, you almost certainly are. Yes, actually, that's a very good point. Yeah, yes, so just, under less stress. Yeah, I sometimes think you know that that, that, that people just generally want what they haven't got. <laughs> <laughs> and it I isn't always the best thing that. for them. It isn't always the best thing for them, is it? I mean, some a, a, lot, a lot of the things that I hear people talk about. Um, uh, I mean, I think Bart, we've talked many times about having one device that is your computer and is a tablet, uh, and uh, and 
I've heard so many people talk about it. Well, that's what people re- would really like, but would it really work in a way that would? That's the thing, is mm. that sometimes I think sometimes people want something without really understanding what it is that they want. Well, you could argue um, the phablet is an example of that. They wanted big screen phones, and when they got big screen phones, like, oh, this is a bit awkward. <laughs> yes. Well, for some people, certainly. Yeah. Now, I will say there is a subtle difference here that I think is important. So the reason that a tablet slash computer hybrid is, in my opinion, a flawed concept from the get-go is that a tablet is a fingery interface and a computer is a pointing device interface. Yeah. And they don't mesh. But a phone and a mini tablet are both fingery interfaces. That's true. So if a toaster fridge has a chance of succeeding, it's not really a toaster fridge. It's a toaster oven. And that actually is potentially a useful product. But you're, uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you that a lot of times what people think they want is all great until reality arrives. And then they realize, oh, yeah, I mean, the netbook, right? We all thought we wanted netbooks apart yeah. from Apple. It, we were like, this it, is a terrible much, idea. <laughs> it was much idea, uh, much easier, wasn't it, when Apple just told us what we wanted? <laughs> but they still do, right? Uh, and Apple are not in this That's game. To a certain extent, yeah. But yeah. I can guarantee you the people in Cupertino are watching fascinatedly as their competitors geek sure out the ideas in public. So they don't even need industrial espionage. They can just watch it in the real world. Well, I, I think the... the um, the assessment which has been touted on a lot of blogs and, and tech sites is, of course, Apple will not be the first people and obviously are not no. the first people to make this folding phone. And if a folding phone is going to be the future, Apple will wait until they have a killer uh, implementation and then they will produce it and everyone will go, oh, well, of course, that, of course that's how you should do it. Um, Apple make products they don't do they don't find the technology and then try to imagine a use for it they imagine a product and then find the technology to make it go which is kind of a difference and on a related note Peyton Lee Apple just threw into my news feed uh, just a day or two ago 28th of February a patent from Apple for a folding iPhone design that uses some sort of heating mechanism to protect the fold from cracking and some sort of magnetic locking system <laughs> mm. So they're well, clearly actually, thinking actually, about this yes. stuff. Oh yeah, they must be. I've been yeah. thinking about it for some time because if you follow Peyton the Apple things, the sort of folding uh, devices, mm. you know, with one flat screen across the whole device, have, have cropped up several times. So of course, Apple, like everybody else, is thinking about these things. I think Apple it's think a, about I, a lot of things that they don't ever bother to use. Yeah, yeah exactly. True. I, I, I think. Um, I think this all goes back to the Razer phone, you know, because that was so popular. <laughs> and it was a folding phone. Okay, it's true. Not in, the, the, not in the, the same the, way, but... Yeah, slight lack of screen popular. real estate was... <laughs> you could count the pixels on one hand, I think. Oh, this is true. But it folded, didn't it? It was a little bit like a, a communicator in Star Trek. You know, oh, yeah. I don't, there's no way... They called it a yeah. StarTac, for God's sake. Of course they were Star Trek fans. It was just missing the twiddly knob Kirk used to use. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay, well, I am going to wrap up the main stories with that and just quickly run through a few other quick stories that I think are worth mentioning rather than dwelling on. Um, the, Euro- the US Securities and Exchange Commission have charged Gene Lenov, a former vice president of corporate law at Apple, with insider trading while he was at Apple. It was literally his and job it- to track these people down yes. and he was at it. Charming. Oh, <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, I was going to say, and for anybody who doesn't know, his job at Apple was to prevent people doing insider trading. <laughs> yep. Oh, Fail. Uh, Apple and the French government have come to an arrangement over a decade's worth of back taxes. Apple will be handing over a large amount of euros. The, officially, we do not know how many euros, but the re- rumoured, reported, estimated amount is about 570 billion with a B of them. That's quite a lot. That is a lot of money. That's a lot, even. That's a lot of money, even for Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apple has partnered with the Veterans... No, the VA, Veterans Affairs, isn't it, VA? Ooh, I thought it was it the Veterans Association, but anyway, whatever. Yeah, the Veterans. Yeah, but it's the Department of Government, so association doesn't seem right. I think it's a Veterans Agency. Oh. V- anyway, they're a Department of the US Government that deal with veterans. That's, that's the important thing. Yes. Oh, right. Um, and one of the things the VA provides is VA healthcare. So if you go and risk your life for the US government, then they will give you fr- effectively free healthcare for life afterwards as a an appropriate compensation for what you've done. Um, and a part of that now is that everyone who's in VA healthcare will have access, if they wish, to Apple health records to allow them to have their records with them in their phone portably and securely and confidentially as they move from hospital to hospital, doctor to doctor. And I can speak from personal experience with various family members that one of the most dangerous things is moving from institution to institution as a patient and having some important part of your medical history get accidentally left behind. Mm. They can literally kill you. So this is great. And I'm delighted to see Apple team up with the VA to do this. Um, In China, Apple have teamed up with Alipay to allow China, not to allow China, to allow Chinese customers to borrow interest-free over 24 months to buy Apple gear. Basically, these are packages where you spend, I think it's $30 a month that you pay back, and over 24 months, it turns out to be enough to get like an iPhone or something, which is interesting. Uh, SoundCloud artists can publish straight to Apple Music, which is obviously, again, continuing our discussion earlier. You know, Apple Music seems to be where things are headed, and Spotify and all these things. And then... There was a bunch, well, there were two interesting stories that Apple Maps is obviously continuing to roll out. So Apple Maps Transit and Indoor Navigation being expanded to 17 more U.S. states. And Apple Maps Vehicles are going to begin surveying the final U.S. states they haven't already driven around. So Apple are continuing to slowly, slowly pad out that data set they have for Apple Maps. And it does really keep getting better because that is now my go-to navigation app of choice, particularly with the iPhone integration. And it, it works pretty darn well. Do you know what I found today? Um, and I, I, I know I know it was available on the uh, on your computer before, mm-hmm. but I've not seen it in a mobile app before. Um, on Google now, you can um, if you put in a, a directions from A to B, right? Um, you, you can fly over it. You can press a button and it will move you round the round the route and Ooh. show you, um, which is really cool. That does sound I'd like rather fun, like actually. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. I think you could do that on the on on your PC. You know, on on the on well, certainly the with Google Earth, you on can do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, but uh, now you can do it in Google Maps. So on, there on you go. Yeah, well done, Google. You uh, so Google know where I've been today because <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> uh, because I you put it in there. <laughs> you told them. You said, "Dear Google, how do I get here?" <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So. Um, I waved. When I got there, I waved. I said, hello, Google, it's me. (laughs) Surely you mean okay. Anyway. uh, (laughs) 
And the final story we have is just that uh, even though it gets a lot of slagging, CarPlay is continuing to roll out to more vehicles with Toyota and Volkswagen coming on board. Jolly good. So that I wish they'd, us... I wish they'd go into all, all cars because it would make life a lot easier. I entirely agree. Basically, I think every car should have both, or actually all three, in fact, you know, the, the Google, A-Lady and Siri. Just, that should just yeah, be the I think, I mean, Actually, any car worthy of, worthy of its sort now should have, um, it's hardly worth actually building in your own sat-nav and all that sort of stuff that they do right. in cars. Yeah, because they're uh, why, terrible. Why not, just, why not just put a space that's big enough for your Android or your iPhone and you just slot it in and there it is. Well, I kind of like the way, I mean, Apple Play is effectively that idea, except that they provide the screen, yeah. right? So the sc- rather than you sliding your phone in, they give you a screen and they give yeah. you the microphones and they give you the speakers so that the integration Which is, fine, is, yeah, it's but, brilliant. But yeah, yeah, it, w- it, would be, uh, it would be nice to have it in uh, yeah, and, all and we, cars, but there we oh, go. And we know from years of experience that if you let them design the user interface and let them design their own software, what you end up with is poop. Yeah. Because while they're good at making cars go, they're not good at software. So let Apple, Google, Amazon do the software and you guys make the car. I remember going into a, a Citroen garage. This is going back quite a few years. Um, but it was well after MP3s had become a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and asking about you know, <laughs> MP3 players in, in the car showroom, and I might as well be just been saying, <laughs> I was going to say, like, Charlie Brown, like, you know, the, the adults in Snoopy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, for, for what it's worth, I have a Citroen, and um, my last Citroen, which I had for six years, it didn't have uh, Apple uh, Play, because obviously CarPlay wasn't a thing. Um, yes, yeah. But it, it did have uh, a direct USB socket which you could plug your phone into, and then uh, so play your you know your tunes. Oh, well, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the uh, the new one, which we uh, which I have now, um, does have CarPlay. Um, oh, jolly good. Good. I'm not. I can't say I'm a hundred percent super. You know, chuffed with it, but uh, it has CarPlay. Well, the, the oh, good right. thing is okay. software can be updated. Yes, that is true. So it's going um, to get better, things, not worse. I mean, there are things about it which I find annoying. Like you press the button and you you have to listen to Siri say, in order to get started, give me a command after the tone, which gets really uh. old really, really quick. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Yes, and you to learn. Yes, yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, the, the closest my 07 uh, Ford Fiesta gets is an auxiliary in port, which is actually bloody useful because I can shove anything into auxiliary in. Yes. Mm. Anyway, folks, thank you ever so much for giving of your time. That rounds us out for February's Apple News. Um, just before we finish up, just to say there will be detailed show notes over at lets-talk.ie with links to all of the stories that have informed my thinking throughout this month. Uh, while you're there, there'll be large blue buttons under the heading Support the Show. Um, please consider supporting the show. Those of you who do, thank you very much. Um, those of you who give, who pledge through Patreon, you guys pay the monthly bills and make it possible for this show to do what it's doing now, which is approximately breaking even. That is a huge deal, and it's only because of that support that this show exists at all. Without that support, it couldn't exist. 
those of you who push the PayPal button, what you guys do is you allow me to invest in software and hardware, which is needed from time to time. So basically the running bills, Patreon, PayPal donations deal with non-recurring expenses. Um, and again, very much appreciated. I'm now talking into a very nice boom mic that I'm extremely happy with that you guys basically paid for. So thank you. You can also support the show in really simple ways like telling your friends about it, going to the podcatcher of your choice and reviewing the show. All of those things really help. Tweet about the show, you know, you know human contact, it's great. And um, also there are affiliate links for people who need Linux virtual machines and domain hosting. So you have Hover.com and uh, DigitalOcean. And those affiliate links are only of value if you actually need a domain or if you actually need some Linux hosting. Uh, but if you actually buy through those affiliate links, then in the case of DigitalOcean, we both get a little thank you from DigitalOcean. And in the case of Hover, I just get a little thank you from Hover. But either way, you're helping the show. So I will leave it at that. Let's talk at .ie. Thank you again to both of my guests. Nick, would you like to tell the good listeners where they can uh, get in touch with you on the internets? Uh, well, if you listen to uh, Simon, he'd tell you uh, quite clearly that I can't be found anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you can be found quite often on his show as well as on mine. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, yes, I am on Essential Apple as a co-host occasionally, uh, which I enjoy very much. And um, you can actually contact me if you want on Twitter, um, but I just don't go in there very often. Uh, and on there, I'm Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. Uh, Simon, would you tell the dear listeners a little bit about Essential Apple so that they might consider downloading and having listened to this show? Well, yes, uh, I uh, host the Essential Apple show, uh, which you can find at Essential Apple and uh, also on the web as www.essentialapple.com and, of course, in all your podcasts. And uh, we're an Apple-centric show where we talk about the same sort of things as uh, Bart talks about on here, but uh, with a shorter, you know, time period. So we usually look at seven to ten days' worth of news and stories at a go. Um, and that's about it, really. Uh, and I personally am on the uh, Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Excellent, folks. Thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time on this Saturday evening. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network.